HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. We are broadcasting from the Heritage Radio Network, live from Roberta's in Bushwick, and my guest today is on the phone. Her name is Jane Black. Jane is a journalist who covers food food politics, uh, trends, and sustainability issues. Her column, Smarter Food, appears monthly in the Washington Post, and her work appears regularly in the New York Times, The Atlantic, and New York Magazine. Welcome to the program, Jane. Thanks a lot for taking time out of your Sunday. I appreciate you joining me today. Happy to be here. Oh, that's great. So, Jane, you wrote an article for... Um, for my, one of my favorite new publications, not so new, but uh, the Food and Environmental Reporting Network, and they partner up with other media outlets, in this case, Slate. Uh, you wrote an article called Snap Judgment. And to give a little background about that, uh, food stamps, or rather SNAP, are getting a lot of press right now, not from you, but from not just from you, but from others. Um, and not only for those uh, draconian uh, cuts that the Republicans are proposing uh, that would come in uh, line over the next decade, but also um, with a new proposal from Phil Rowe, the Republican congressman from Tennessee, who would ban SNAP recipients from buying what falls into what uh, many people call the junk food category with their benefits. And what is surprising about that is um, that there are so many anti-hunger groups, as you pointed out in your article, that are firmly against any kind of limitations on SNAP benefits. Um, So give us a little uh, description of what exactly is going on here, because it seems to me kind of makes straightforward sense to say, no, you can't spend my tax dollars on Pepsi-Cola. Right. And I mean, I think that's what a lot of people have been saying for a long time. And this is something that's been floating around for a while, but seems to be getting a lot more attention from some pretty strange people, as you point out, like Phil Rowe, a Republican. I mean, he's the kind of guy and, and, and then other Republicans in in the House are not people who usually say, yeah, let's regulate more. And yet, because of the talk about obesity and the public health crisis and how much it costs, people seem to want to um, 
to start regulating what you can buy. And so what my article was about and what I thought was so interesting was sort of who was supporting this and who wasn't. And what came, what it, what I realized was that the anti-hunger groups, the people who really are out campaigning to protect food stamps and SNAP and in defense of low-income people are really against it. And you start to say, well, well, why could that be? And one of the reasons, and I don't think that they are really bad people. I want to make that really clear. I mean, they are out defending this. But, you know, they get a lot of money donated to them by big food companies, Mm -hmm. people like Kraft, people like Kellogg, General Mills, ConAgra, exactly the people who sell the junk food. Right. And so, you know, you know, I think you have to back up, though, just for a second to look at these partnerships historically. Um, you know, back when they started first fighting for food stamps, you know, the, the food companies would help the anti-hunger organizations because at that time, people who were low income were hungry more yeah. than they were obese. And so it was a perfect partnership. The food companies would say, you know, we'll give you money, we'll give you, you know, food and you know they get this halo effect by helping low-income people and you know they give away and you know some of their food they're doing some good right that's where government cheese came from right yeah exactly (laughs) exactly it used to be government cheese now it's now it's fritos now it's fritos exactly but you know so so these partnerships have been in place for decades and i really want to make clear that the anti-hunger organizations do really good work in a really tough climate but in this at this point, you know, they're sort of in a situation where they're in a position where they don't want to say to big funders like Coke or Pepsi, you know, we're going to ban people from buying your products because those guys are going to lose a lot of money if suddenly people can't use their food stamps to buy Pepsi, Coke, and Frito-Lay. Yeah, I got to ask you, what do food stamps have to do with these anti-hunger groups? Food stamps or SNAP is an entitlement program funded entirely by the United States government and our taxpayer dollars. So why well, do anti-hunger cam- you know, uh, organizations have the opportunity to weigh in uh, with so much um, you know, gravity on this issue when really directly they have nothing to do with SNAP? Well, I mean, I have to sort of disagree with you. They sort of have everything to do with SNAP because mm-hmm. SNAP is one of the few programs that helps to feed the poor. Right. And if you're trying to prevent people from being hungry, then you're interested in protecting food stamps or the SNAP program. And so these organizations that have been around for a long, a long time, you know, do a lot of really good work protecting the food stamp program, which, you know, just to throw out some statistics, you know, there are 47 million Americans on food stamps right now. Yeah. You know, that's up almost 70% over four years. Right. So there are a lot of people who need them. And at the exact same time, you've got people saying, we, you know, we need budget cuts, we need to save money. And so these guys are out fighting in the trenches to make sure that there is government money to help low-income people So you're saying that themselves. you're saying the anti-hunger groups you're referring to are not necessarily charities or food pantries or big organizations like that, you're saying there are more lobbying groups that work primarily in legislation and not actually out, you know, working on, uh, you know, large scale food distribution programs. Absolutely. I mean, they obviously work with the food pantries, but, you know, there are organizations like the Food Research and Action Committee, Uh which is often referred to as FRAC or um, uh, the Congressional Hunger Center. And these are nonprofits that, that basically work lobbying. 
Uh huh. So I'm going to read a quote actually from uh, the director of the Congressional Hunger Center. He said, we do not accept funds that have any restrictions on them. And critics have indicated that this is an unholy alliance. This goes back to our talking about how they are, you know, funded by groups like PepsiCo and Kraft. And he says he has no objection to that term. And those companies have access to members of Congress that we don't have access to people in the Republican leadership. And that's what we find advantageous. I thought that was an incredible admission, actually. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you sort of have to <laughs> love it. I I mean, he says yeah. what he thinks, and um, but you know, I mean, look, that's that's the truth. I mean, he they feel under siege, uh-huh. and you know, they they work with these these groups, and I've checked the, the you know their statements. They do not accept funds with restrictions, um, and I'm sure that at some point, you know, having the CEO of, of PepsiCo on your side did help get them into. Um, you know, certain congressional members' offices uh-huh. and get them to pay attention. On the other hand, what's really interesting now is that you've got Republicans like Phil Rowe coming out and saying, yeah, we want to ban this. And so I, some, to a certain degree, I feel like the um, anti-hunger groups have sort of missed what's going on, how, how the situation has changed, that the alliances that worked 20 years ago are not necessarily the alliances that may work today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and what I argued in my piece was that, you know, this is something that anti-hunger groups who want to help low-income people eat and public health groups that want to help low-income people eat well could work on together rather than having this very um, fractious relationship. You know, I, one of the other things that, you know, Ed said to me when we were talking that didn't end up in the piece was this idea that, oh, there are all these public health people out there, you know, just trying to sell their books and, you know, get advertisements on their blogs, you know, they don't really understand what this is about. They're just, you know, and the suggestion was, you know, there are a bunch of elitists saying, yeah, we want to control what poor people eat. That's right. They can't have any more Fritos because we say so. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is a very fundamental issue around that, which we, I hope we'll have time to address at the end. But in the meantime, I just want to go on to something that I also read when I was preparing for this show, which was in um, an article on The Hill, which is like an insider Washington newspaper paper. Anybody can access it. And it said in this article, which I was unable to subsequently confirm for myself, that over $2 billion a year go toward junk food purchases. Um, And almost more than half of all SNAP benefits are used to buy sugary drinks. I think that was a very scary piece of statistic. And that's where I find it incredible that the anti-hunger groups are lagging behind in recognizing that there has to be some kind of sense of you know, what is appropriate to be spending your SNAP benefits on and what isn't, even if you resent the idea of telling people what to eat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why this is sort of gaining ground. I think that number may be a little bit off. I think that what I've, first of all, let me back up and say, nobody knows what people spend their SNAP benefits on because the USDA does not keep track of that. Yeah. And that is actually one thing that the anti-hunger groups have also been involved in because they have been lobbying against them keeping track of it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm not going to say why, but, you know, that is what it is. And so, um, so we don't really know, but there are estimates that are anywhere from $2 billion to $4 billion is spent on sugary beverages. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's an $80 billion program, so I couldn't possibly do that math in my head. But, <laughs> yeah, but that's a good amount so, of money to spend on PepsiCo. And, it, and it's, to me, it's just like it's a corporate subsidy. It's, a welfa- it's corporate welfare. Well, right? I mean, it's it, it an aspect it of that to because it. Because 
Well, what I would say is that, you know, the people are choosing to spend the money on Coke or whatever, um, on on sodas. And, you know, it isn't... I guess the way that I feel about it is that it's hard to tell people who are living on a very small amount of money that they need to buy foods that cost more sure. when they don't have the money. So, so it's tricky because, you know, you, what you have to do in order to um, figure this out is say, well, if we tell them we can't buy this, then what are they going to be able to buy that is healthier? And um, I think that that's sort of one of the interesting things about this this story is that the anti-hunger groups have been against even trying to figure that out. I mean, Mayor Bloomberg in New York City, you know, famously in 2010 tried to stop SNAP recipients from buying sodas, and he was shot down by the Department of Agriculture that needed to approve that that rule going into effect. And they've been against it in all different pieces, and I think it's hard to say – you shouldn't buy. You shouldn't be allowed to buy chips, or you shouldn't be allowed to buy soda. We need to do small programs in different places and try to figure out: um, Does it work? Does it make sense? If you don't let them buy soda, do they do they just buy sweet tea? You know, I mean, where do you draw the line, and how should a program like this work so that we are not, you know, um, using our tax dollars to buy junk food, but we also are helping the poor to eat well. Yeah, well, I think that, um, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a short break, Jane. And then we're going to come right back with Jane Black from the Washington Post. And we'll be talking more about how, uh, how, whether or not we should be regulating SNAP benefits. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com I love that. Go deeper. You're listening to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And on the line today with me is Jane Black, a Washington Post reporter who uh, published a really interesting article in on Slate and also in the Food and Environmental Reporting Network uh, channels, which is called Snap Judgment about whether or not... Um, not whether or not, but who is lobbying for regulating food stamp benefits and who is against that. So to go back to what you were saying uh, before the break, Jane, you were saying, like, how would we arbitrate between, you know, uh, Coke and sweet tea or, you know, and I I have to say that um, there's a couple of points here that I want to make about that. One is that is that people can buy those products with their own money. Those are not products that they need to stay uh, hydrated or um, filled. You know what I mean? It's easy to buy them. It's a habit to buy them. Um, and if you really want them, you can buy them. 
with your own money. Because I mean, everybody's got a 99 cents to spend on Doritos, right? So, and then the other compelling, then here's something that you, I'm going to quote from your article. There are compelling reasons not to impose new rules on what food stamps can buy, according to the anti-hunger groups. Making low-income families in the grocery line pay separately for forbidden foods would be cumbersome and potentially stigmatizing, they argue. Do you agree with that opinion? Because I, I have to say I don't. Yeah, well, I don't either. I mean, that is an argument that they make. And I, and I also should say, you know, for, in reporting this article, I talked to some folks at the USDA and they told me that that, that weighs heavily upon the regulators. That is an argument they take very seriously. Now I'm with you. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that when you have as small an amount as we give people who have food stamps, they're quite often paying for things separately. So it really isn't a big deal to say, well, you know, I'm going to pay for my, you know, soda separately versus my chicken separately because I don't have enough benefits. So, So I agree with you. I think that the argument that is sensible that they make is um, that, you know, it's hard to figure out, well, what's healthy? Is a baked potato chip okay? Is sunny delight okay, even though it's an orange drink, not orange juice? And then, you know, you've got all kinds of people saying, well, you shouldn't be drinking juice because that's too sugary. How do you figure it out? Well, you know, if you think about like the Women, Infants, and Children's Program, um, which also supplies essentially an EBT card or some way of for people to like they those products go directly to milk, cereal, fruits, vegetable, meat, and fish, and that's all they can buy with that. They can't buy other stuff like right. juice, soda, you know, pastries, baked goods. All that stuff is off the map, and those scanners are able to figure that out. So I, I have to say, I do feel like. Um, you know, it is possible to arbitrate, uh, you know, to, to take an entire class of product like chips and whether they're baked, fried, boiled or whatever, they're just not on the list, period. You can buy that with your own money. Right. And I mean, I don't, I don't entirely disagree with you. I think there are two things. I mean, the Women and Infant and Children's Program, the, the history obviously is that, you know, there are nutrition standards for it that are aimed at pregnant women and small children. Right. And, you know, I suppose there are going to be different nutrition standards for a 50-year-old man on food stamps. And, you know, maybe those food categories are the easiest way to go, and it, and it still makes sense. For me, the first step with something like this would be sodas because, you yeah. know, it's pretty easy to say that that really doesn't have any nutritional value. That's right. And, you know, and then see how it goes and see what happens. I mean, then do they start spending their money somewhere else? Do they start buying Sunny Delight? You know, I think, um, you know, the problem is that with the, with the regulating is that you either need to do certain categories like that, but you're going to have, I mean, just imagine the politics. You, you talk about politics all the time. I mean, remember the school lunch debate about, sure. you know, pizza sauce as yeah, a vegetable. Can you imagine if Every, the potato council, the you know whatever council, <laughs> the corn every council, single person corn. was lobbying as a regulating agency was trying to figure out what was good and what was bad. I mean, it would never get done. Practically. Well, I think that's I think they've already been doing that, and that's why it hasn't changed, right? I mean, I think that those those groups, those lobbying groups, are very heavily involved in uh, resisting any effort to regulate what people can buy on any kind of benefits. But let's move on for a second because we don't have that much time left, and I wanted to talk about the fact that. Basically, there is no nutritional education in this country at any level. And if you're, you know, a sufficiently affluent person with enough time and energy to research that yourself, you know, you're going to make the better choices for yourself. But for the for the rank and file of this country, there is no 
nutritional or culinary training, no expertise whatsoever in terms of home economics. And that to me is like the first part of the piece of the first piece of the puzzle to put into place when you want to start uh, lobbying people to start making better choices about what they buy with their food stamps or just with their food dollars. So is there, you know, do you see any future in some sort of education that goes along with food stamp benefits, whether it's a handout or a monthly newsletter or something like that? Do you see any effort uh, or any building towards that kind of um, just small educational piece to help people understand what they're doing in the grocery store? Yeah, I mean, I first I want to say I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's really important because the best thing we could do is have people making the choices themselves yeah. rather than telling them. But I think that, um, you know, the SNAP program does have a budget for education. There are also programs like Cooking Matters and Shopping Matters, which are sponsored by Share Our Strength, which is interesting because they are one of these anti-hunger organizations mm-hmm. that are very concerned about limiting what you can buy. They offer programs that teach people how to cook. They have a six-week program that teaches people how to cook on a very low budget. They have recipes, not like you see on TV, but ones that use very inexpensive products. They also have something called Shopping Matters, which I've been along on, um, where they take people through the grocery store and they show them how to look at unit prices. You know, is it cheaper to buy frozen vegetables than fresh vegetables? Well, if you're on food stamps, maybe you should buy the frozen peas, you know? So I think there are things like that that are gaining traction, and I think that they're an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I do too. I think without that, uh, you know, we're never going to succeed. I mean, it's just uh, people just have to get the basic information, and at this point, it's not really readily available. I mean, I do some teaching in a uh, pantry myself, and and um, I'm amazed at, um, you know, some people come from a, an ethnic background where they still have some sense of, like, you know, what is good and what isn't. I don't mean to make it a judgment, but, you know, what is more nutritious than other things. But some people are really clueless. I mean, they literally don't have any sense of how to read a label or what calories are, what cal- what the impact of cal- certain types of calories on your health versus others. So, uh, you know, how much protein you need versus how many carbs you should have. I mean, that kind of stuff. So when I ask you, let, let me ask you this, how, has there been any polling? Has there been any work with uh, the actual recipients of food stamps to discuss how they feel about whether or not their money, their benefits should be regulated in any way? Well, that was what I thought was interesting. You know, when I was talking to Ed Cooney, he said, you know, I don't know anything about any polling. And I said, well, you know, there's this poll. that the Harvard School of Public Health sponsored uh, in 2012, and they they asked people if they would be supportive of removing um, – allowing people with SNAP benefits to buy sugary beverages. And 54% of the SNAP benefits beneficiaries said yes. And then what's really interesting is of the 46% of them who said no, 45% of those people, so half of the 46%, said that they would change their mind if, you know, the new rules also gave them a little more money to buy healthier foods. So you have a large percentage of people say, look, if you give us a little more money to buy healthier fruits, we'll buy them. But so then that's suggesting that the that the if the equation is 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 if say they get five extra dollars a week, suddenly they're going to stop buying soda and chips because that, that that five extra dollars a week. Like there's there's a logic I'm not following there. I mean, it seems to me that you can buy uh, you can buy a couple of bags of black beans, dried black beans for the same amount that you can buy two liters of soda. Well, so I think your... that it's too, well. First of all, what they said was, if you give us more money and then you restrict it, we'll have more money to buy the better things. So uh-huh. that would be good. But also, you know, 
you buy two bags of black beans, you have to know how to cook them. You have to have the time Agreed. to cook them. You have to have the, you know, sanity in your life to have the wherewithal to do that. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's really not discussed very often. I mean, mm-hmm. we cook, uh, my husband and I cook all the time, sure. you know, but we, it takes it takes effort, you know, yes, and does. if you are a very low-income person, you have a lot of stress in your life, and, you know, it's kind of a luxury to 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 worry about food. They, you know, we have to be honest and say they have a lot of problems, and kind of eating the most nutritious thing may not be at the top of their priority list. Well, sure, it's, it's hard to, you know, I mean, if you're... Hard to be poor. <laughs> it's hard to be poor. I mean, it's hard when you have limited equipment in your kitchen, or for instance, you don't have a kitchen. I mean, if you, right. a lot of people who get food stamps, for example, are people who live in single-room occupancy hotels or situations like that, where they literally do not have access to anything beyond a microwave or right. a hot plate. So, but in that case, you can, you know, open up your can of uh, Goya. I mean, you know, there are options. I'm just, There are options, I'm just yes. saying, like, to me, it's like... To give more money so that you'll make better choices, that just doesn't compute for me. It's Mm. like you either make a choice or you don't, you know, you either choose to eat a can of black beans or you choose to buy a liter of soda. You know what I mean? I don't think the amount of money is going to have an impact on whether or not you make that choice. What's going to make that change is education. What they're saying is the amount you would get more money in exchange for not being allowed to buy the soda. Oh, I got it. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So let's, um, we're going to wrap this up, but, but ultimately what we're talking about is a question of personal choice and civil liberties, right? Right. And that to me is what is so hard about this. Cause on the one hand, as a taxpayer, I feel like, you know, I don't want to give that much money to PepsiCo. It's not that I'm making a pejorative judgment about whether or not you drink soda. It's whether or not I want to see, you know, $2 billion go into the pockets of Kraft and PepsiCo. I don't. That's corporate welfare as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, that makes me mad. (laughs) And just for that reason, I'd like to see this regulated. Not so much because people shouldn't be drinking it, but just because I don't want to pay for it. Right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way, but I think you're right. I mean, this is a country where, you know, the free choice is a very deeply rooted um, thing. And and I think that's what makes this so complicated and so touchy for people. You know, even Michelle Obama, who I personally think has done a wonderful job kind of, you know, speaking about this in a way that, you know, feels accessible and friendly and non-judgmental, you'll never hear her say, here's what you should eat. It's very hard for the government to say, in this country, here's what you should eat. But, um, as I say, when you look at Phil Rowe, of all people, a a Republican from Tennessee who's wanted to slash the SNAP program for a long time, Mm -hmm. saying, you know, I think we should regulate this, things may be changing. Well, to me, that's just, I mean, when I hear Republicans making comments like that, all I hear is them saying, you know, I want, basically want to take your benefits away and I'm going to do it any way I can. I mean, I'm not, I don't actually attribute a particularly pure motive to him. I think it's just another way of attacking the program. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but that's just my paranoia about Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just, when it comes to the poor and Republicans, I think we really have to recognize that it's, they're not really on their side. In um, but what I do think is interesting is, is, is this question of civil liberties and the whole sort of um, idea of whether or not taxpayers should have a voice in, 
in something that ultimately costs us so much money, either as a corporate welfare subsidy, as I've suggested, or as a public health issue, which it most certainly is. Because in the end, if people continue to spend and drink all of these, you know, sugary drinks, et cetera, blah, 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 um, as Kelly Brownell at Yale University has said time and again, I mean, this is really, there is absolutely a firm, you know, cause and effect between drinking these kinds of beverages. Mm-hmm. And that for, you know, just that alone, if you wipe that off of the food stamp map, you'd start making probably some kind of progress in terms of... Yeah, I mean, what Kelly told me for this article is, you know, the government shouldn't be paying to make people sick. Yeah, right. um, And, you know, as I said, I think that there's certainly something to that. I think there's a way to go about doing it. I think it has to happen you know, the way things do in the government, slowly and cautiously, you know, to make sure that if we take things away, that it's having the result that we want, which is that people are eating healthier. And, you know, there is a way to do that. We just have to figure out what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's, I mean, the whole food stamp issue is so interesting to me because there are so many people who could be getting food stamps and who are not getting them. And then there's this whole issue of stigmatizing people because they get food stamps, which, frankly, I don't think really happens because, in general, in a community that's really hard hit by the economic downturn, for example, which would explain why we have uh, 64% more enrollment in the food stamp program. Um, you know, <clears throat> pretty much the community is all together in that boat. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I, you know, I, I, I hesitate to, to call anybody being stigmatized, but certainly there are you know, plenty of older people who probably would find it hard, hard to accept food stamps. Yeah, even I think that's mostly right. the group that we talk about when we talk right, about that. It's right. people who are very proud and they don't want to have to go in and they don't want to be seen in the grocery store to be using this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that would be very hard. And you do hear about all kinds of people who have at certain times in their lives have been on food stamps. And, you know, it is really important that people understand that, you know, I believe that, you know, we live in a country that helps you if you hit a rough patch and it's okay. Yeah, and, right. And, you know, we don't help people very often, and we should, so we definitely don't want to do something that would make people feel like they won't take help. Right, absolutely. Well, I, could, I couldn't agree with you there more on that particular point. Well, Jane, I, unfortunately we have to wrap it up, but I want to thank you so much. And uh, why don't you let people know where they can access this article and, uh, and just kind of keep your – do you have a website, for instance? I do. You can go to my website. It's there. It's um, uh, janeblack.net, or you can find it um, on slate.com just by searching Snap Judgment. That's right. Or go to the Food and Environmental Reporting Network website where it is also listed. And Jane, your other articles are up on your um, on your janeblack.com website, right? Yeah, janeblack.net. Dot net, excuse me. Okay. That's okay. Well, thanks again for joining me today on your honeymoon or your anniversary weekend. I really appreciate <laughs> the time. I hope you guys are out somewhere beautiful enjoying this lovely day. We and are. Thank you so much. Great. It was a pleasure my being pleasure. here. Yeah, please come back. And uh, thanks to my sponsor, Kane Vineyard, and thanks to my engineer. And I'll see you next week with another fantastic program about food and politics. Stay tuned until then. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.